Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock. I am your Captain, Captain Sabriel Maston, and as joined by always, except when not, I'm joined by... Ken Gagney. That's right. I'm Chief Engineer, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. Hi. <laughs> uh, it's been a while for me. Yeah. Sabriel, you and I last chatted when we reviewed the series finale for Picard, which of course was a while ago now. And then Strange New World Season 2 came on the air and you were enjoying some shore leaves. So I had Mr. Yeah. David Vellante on the show talking about his sartorial perspective on the history mm-hmm. of Star Trek, which was fascinating. He said he would love to come back on the show. And so I've added him to our rotation of many previous guests who we've loved having on the show. Awesome. Yes, I was on Shirley singing about rowing boats and climbing mountains. Uh, yes, not Yosemite, maybe the other national park that begins with the Y, but yes. <laughs> and marshmallows. And marshmallows. You know, it was like 30 years after that movie came out that I understood why they called it a marshmallow. Really? Yeah. I, I'm guessing you already knew the story. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> There's things yeah. I don't pick up on either. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe we've already talked about it on the show. Maybe our listeners already know, but McCoy had reprogrammed the computer database so that when Spock looked up Earth camping traditions, he would be given the wrong information. That would be called a marshmallow, so that McCoy could make fun of him later. They cut out that scene, <laughs> so all we're left with is McCoy referring to it as a marshmallow. I mean, it still kind of works, but it could have been better if they would have left that in. Right. I mean, is the audience left to believe that this is what marshmallows are called in the future? (laughs) It's a space marshmallow. Kind of like when you get sick, you go to see your space doctor. Exactly. Or space law. If you ever want to to see them just add the word (laughs) space to a lot of things, go watch the original pilot of Star Trek in the first 10 minutes. That's right. Talk about our in our space quarters about space law. This is so bad. (laughs) I love it. No, it's not bad. It's delightful. It is delightfully campy in a way they thought they were being serious. I mean, if you tune into an episode and you miss the first five minutes, how else are you going to know that they're on a spaceship and not a covered wagon going out west? It's true. The wagon came to the stars. They're otherwise identical. You got to have some distinction. (laughs) All right. We've got some news. Very short recap. Prodigy has been pulled by Paramount Minus. I have renamed Paramount Plus to Paramount Minus. Yeah. Yeah. Star Trek Prodigy has been canceled. They were in post-production of the second season, and they decided not only are they not going to air the second season, they're going to remove the first season from Paramount Plus. (laughs) It's so bad. It's so stupid. I hate streaming services these days. The only way to watch Prodigy illegally now is if you happen to buy the first half of the first season. Although Will Wheaton, who came out in uh, being critical of this decision, he referred to the first 20 episodes that you and I have seen as the first half of the first season, which was, I think, incorrect. He might have made a mistake. Yeah. We've even made a mistake once before. Once. Just once. We don't make mistakes more than once. Yeah, that is sad news. Uh, streaming services are BS, and uh, the writers are all on strike anyway to try yeah. to fight these streaming services because how terrible they are, and no one can make a living anymore. Yeah, apparently it's some sort of a either a tax write-off or you don't need to pay royalties or both. 
which is the incentive for them to remove the show from their catalog, which is not only unfair and possibly unethical, but it also means that Paramount Plus is no longer the home of all of Star Trek, uh-huh. which is what they've been billing it to us for for years. Yep. Speaking of billing, Paramount Minus's uh, ad-free version is now going from $10 to $13 a month starting in July. Oh, I didn't get that notice. I did. Yeah. Starting in July. Today, as you and I are recording, is July 1st. I don't remember the exact date my email said, but it's probably whatever your first billing is. Ah, great. I can't which, say for sure. It's just one of my guess. Which means that the annual plan that I'm on is probably also going out. Up. Maybe. Huh. I wonder how much that's going to be. Because I think I've been paying $100 a year. Oh, but students get 25% off. I didn't know that. I'm not a student, but... I could be. <laughs> we are all students of life. In the last get, news, I have. Oh, yeah? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to switch topic entirely. So if you've got something to add. So I'm on the Paramount Plus pricing plan page right now. It doesn't show like last modified. So I don't know if these prices are current. But what this says is the ad version is $6 a month or $60 a year. And the ad free version, which I think used to be called like Paramount Plus Premium or something. So what it says yes. here is it's now called Paramount Plus with Showtime. Oh, yep. That's what I got here. But it doesn't say ad-free, which is my experience of Paramount Plus. So I, I don't really care about Showtime. I just care about not having ads. Anyway, that plan is $12 a month or $120 a year. So it's going up $2 a month or $20 a year. <laughs> I okay. don't care about Showtime. Right? And, and I still get ads anyway, but it's just for Paramount stuff. It's house ads. Yeah. Every time before you start watching a Paramount show, it shows you a commercial for another Paramount show like Yellowstone or Yellow Jackets or I don't even know. Is Yellowstone Paramount Plus? I can't keep track. The only thing I watch on Paramount Plus is Star Trek. Right. I cancel it. (laughs) Sometimes there is a movie I want to see like the Dungeons and Dragons movie is on Paramount Plus. And I I might want to see that again. And I think the second quiet place movie which was supposed to come out in theaters and got postponed due to the pandemic by like a year or two mm-hmm. i watched that on paramount plus actually when i was last visiting you so one quiet frigid night in fargo north dakota i just scared myself with a scary movie because <laughs> why not uh but yeah we're hoping that some other network picks up star trek prodigy and runs the second season I don't know if that's even legally possible since Paramount owns the rights to Star Trek, but it's also a collaboration with Nickelodeon and they eventually aired season Nickelodeon's one. Nickelodeon is also Paramount. It is? Yeah. I didn't know they were part of that conglomerate. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Yep. And the last bit of news I got, Andrew Robinson is reprising his role as Garrick for the audiobook as narrator of his Star Trek book, A Stitch in Time. I'm surprised there isn't already an audio version of A Stitch in Time. If maybe there is. I don't know, but he's been narrating a new one anyway oh that's great i like him i like his character i like his actor yes oh it seems great uh garrick is one of the best bad guys out there or is he (laughs) he's a good guy i like him he's an anti-hero yes he's willing to do the things that the heroes can't and won't and i can live with that (laughs) you know i probably have mentioned on the show before but my mom watches days of our lives the soap opera and i I grew up watching it with her and there was one episode where Andrew Robinson showed up. Like really? he played this other character's cousin and he just like was in one episode. I think maybe even just one scene. He just came and went 
the only reason I recognized him without his Cardassian makeup was because of his like big eyes and big smirk. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I would like uh, about two years ago, I went searching on the internet to try to verify this memory of mine because it wasn't listed in IMDb. It wasn't listed on Wikipedia, but there were, and like in a days of our lives wiki somewhere, he was listed as a guest star. And so I didn't make it up. It's just that it was such a small appearance and hadn't made it into the like formal uh-huh. records. <laughs> and so I updated those records to include that. Yes. Andrew Robinson was on the soap opera. That's awesome. Yeah weird all right <laughs> should i talk about strange new worlds let's talk about star trek strange new worlds we're going to talk about two episodes today the first one it's the second episode of season two ad astra Paraspera, the motto of starfleet yeah and then we will talk about the third episode which is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow but to start oh, oh i with... thought we were be done today okay yet in yesterday <laughs> But we'll start by talking about To the Stars by Hardways, which is a phrase I first learned from the movie Armageddon. Oh, really? I don't yeah. know at all. It was in there somewhere. But I yeah. enjoy courtroom episodes. They kind of dive into characters and just the setting itself at the time and its exploration. And so I, I liked this episode for that aspect alone, let alone the meat of it. <laughs> yeah, this was a nice resolution to the cliffhanger from last season which was number one being arrested for being genetically modified which even at the time i found strange because it's not something she did as a starfleet member it's uh, the way that she was born and raised and i thought it was strange like like they said in this episode and like i've said on this show there are very good reasons based on the eugenics wars why this is outlawed in starfleet but to apply that to other cultures seems very narrow-minded and not consistent with the idic philosophy of starfleet that's exactly what they're going for here yep and like knowing that these laws still exist by deep space nine's time and dr Bashir, like i knew they weren't going to um get rid of them or anything like that so it's more for me it's also part of the explosion how are they going to get around this because i know una's in the rest of the season so like, how are they going to be doing this it's kind of like when the doctor from Voyager was suing for freedom, for individuality, to be recognized as a person. And they said, well, we that's beyond the scope of this ruling. We are not in a place to do that, but we can assign you authorship of your book. You know, So it's a, it's a narrow ruling and doesn't re- necessarily set a precedent for all other holograms. Kind of like this doesn't set a precedent for other genetically modified individuals. Where should we go next? Well, I found an article on the Escapist magazine th- that I shared with you about how this courtroom drama, it's a, it made two points, both of which I found fascinating. One was that it feels, in this author's opinion, that the last six or seven years of Star Trek have not really grappled with difficult philosophical or moral issues. It's really been more of an action show. And that this episode brought back what we're used to seeing in TOS and TNG and also some to a degree DS9. I can see that to some extent, but it's also more about the exploring within discovery does a lot of exploring the characters of themselves. How many times we talked about and praised how, wow, they're doing therapy in in disco. (laughs) Um, It is a lot more action based, long story based, but more inner exploration than a lot of the previous checks really allowed. But does that inner exploration really grapple with 
And I said, so I said, yeah, it's social it's or societal issues. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm also I'm just adding to. It doesn't really, yeah. uh, if we do talk, like we have non-binary characters now. We have yes. gay characters, but they don't really tackle those. They are just accepted, which, you know, kind of appreciate that those topics aren't the controversial ones. Um, but, but here, like, they use Una to basically have those discussions about queer rights, minority representation, civil rights. And that was the other point that this Escapist Magazine article was making, was that Una was a stand-in, a metaphor for some of the issues we're grappling with today, and mm-hmm. almost literally today, especially given yesterday's Supreme Court ruling regarding LGBT rights and web design in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And this was obvious to you from the DMs that you and I exchanged that this wasn't necessarily a, an episode about genetic modification. It was an episode about bit. okay. Um, that was just the flavoring to talk about today's issues. I mean, and I mean, I understood that from season one too with Una. Like, there was a lot of trans allegory there as well. Accepted, being seen, um, you know, to be yourself. Uh, and here they double up or double down on that with the talk of like passing. Passing as a human, passing as a non-modified individual. Well, or in the case of trans people, passing as your preferred gender. Hmm. Do you use the word preferred? Or, no. uh, is that? I just, it's words that came out. Uh, passing as the gender you perceive you okay. are. So, Because I had that discussion recently with a friend of mine. Uh, she is very liberal uh-huh. and she herself is queer, but also of a different generation. And I was filling out this form online and the form asked me for, uh, I was making an appointment for a haircut mm-hmm. and it asked me for my preferred pronouns. And I said, you know, I'm really glad that they're asking, but the word preferred isn't really appropriate here. It's right. like it, it, they are my pronouns. Mm-hmm. And, and my friend didn't understand that. Like they said, well, Ken, pronouns aren't assigned by God. Like some people believe you get to choose what your pronouns are. It's your preference. I was like, well, you're, I mean, okay. On one hand, yes, you do get to choose. On the other hand, it's not a choice. It's who you are. But regardless, it's not a preference. Even if it is a choice, it's not a preference. And she said, well, what's the difference between a choice and a preference? I said, if I ask for Coke and you give me Pepsi, that's okay. If I say my pronouns are he, him, and you use she, her, that's not okay. And And my friend was like, oh. That does make sense. My brain went to cook Pepsi as well. <laughs> See? It's like, the, it's the ultimate preference. <laughs> and some people can have preferred pronouns. But it's yes. just, uh, it's just to, to blanket that to everybody. This is true as well. So, you know, I historically was confused by individuals who had she, they as their pronoun, for, mm-hmm. as an example. And on one of my podcasts on Polygamer, I had the opportunity to ask somebody, what does that mean? And they said, uh, that they actually do have a preference between those two, but they'll accept either. You know, not that it's quite the same thing, but there are two pronunciations of my surname, and I accept either. I have a preferred one, but if somebody uses the other one, I was like, you know what? That is actually a correct pronunciation, and I'm not going to tell you it's wrong because you're not. It's just not yeah. the one I use. Right. Um. Uh, getting back to here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this episode is regarded by a lot of the community as one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. I definitely yeah. saw it being called one of the best episodes in the last like 20 years. Uh-huh. I didn't see many people. I mean, 
I'm no longer on as much social media as I used to be, so I may have missed those comments. But you're seeing people say it's the one of the best episodes ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, maybe it's a little early to judge, but I really liked it. I, I mean, this episode, even even tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, I cried at the end, which Star Trek does not invoke me to cry very often. Like any show doesn't. It's not just Star Trek. It's any show. Well, as I've told you, I cry at everything nowadays. <laughs> uh, there's actually a private mental health channel in my workplace Slack, and I was like, "Hey, everybody, why am I crying at everything nowadays?" And we actually end up drafting an internal blog post that we shared with the company of like, hey, if you're looking to cry, here are some YouTube clips that will make that happen. <laughs> and so I put like the end of Frozen, the end of Homeward Bound, the end of Inside Out, <laughs> basically like every Disney movie ever, you know, the end of the Iron Giant. Uh, but yeah, these episodes definitely have those moments. For me, I don't think I cried necessarily at, at Astra Paraspra, but at the very end, I've said on the show before how I love seeing characters hug. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved it when Picard hugged Q. I loved it when Picard amicably put his arm around Riker's shoulder. Uh, I wish that Pike and Spock had hugged after that whole, uh, I accidentally started the Romulan War alternate timeline. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and at the end of this episode, I was like, so it was just Pike and Una alone in the transporter room. And Pike is like, he's got this goofy grin, like, wow, that was really close, huh? And I was like, ah, no, mm-hmm. just be sincere. You were really worried about this person. Give him a hug. And he did. Uh-huh. Like, he gave her a hug. And I was like, yes. And then he pulled right back out and he clapped her on the shoulder. He's like, good to have you back, number one. Uh, like it, that short scene just shows how much of a shared history that they have that we don't we are completely unaware of. I mean, yep. they've hinted at it, they've teased it, and here's just more of it. Like, like even in the have they had the episode where the crew got kidnapped, um, uh, or you know, like uh, on the pirate uh, ship. Yeah, yep, yeah, in the pirates, and they just already had plans. Like they've had, they have a history. Yep, it goes way back. Uh, and that's just a little bit more, but so that hug just meant so much to those two characters, and it was just very lovely. Yeah, it's nice when crewmen are also friends. You know, I think that's when Star Trek is at its best. We saw it in TOS and TNG. We saw it with Miles and Julian. Um, uh, a little bit less so on Voyager because that was intentionally like Starfleet and Maquis and a lot of tension between them. I mean, oh, that was tr- supposed to be. They did fail. They failed that so hard. But they had Paris and Harry, Kim. Oh, that's true. And and uh, and then Paris and Bolana got married. But but it wasn't the same as in these other shows. It was. It wasn't the same because Voyager was just Voyager. Um, yeah, we had like yeah. and and um, Archer as well. Oh yeah, they went back. <laughs> um, uh, anything more you want to add there about friendships? No, yeah, but yeah, yeah. there's more about this episode I want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, no, no, of course. Um, before we talk about the court, the whole court thing, <laughs> there's one thing that took me out of this episode. Every time this. They were in the courtroom. I don't know if you caught it. No. Okay. The courtroom was the Federation headquarters from Discovery. Ah. This big weird ass circle in the center for no reason, like hole in the center. Uh, they just redressed it and put a window in the background so they could show. Uh, they put the circular stage so they could yeah. show San Francisco in the background. And Discovery, you're talking about 900 years in the future. Uh-huh. That's a long-lived building. 
and and I was watching the uh, ready room and that's just before the episode here because that that took me out of the episode right when it happened. Like this is the Federation headquarters set just redressed and um here two weeks later i was watching the ready room this morning and they're talking about yeah we went to go see the discovery sets and we discovered we actually like that set a lot and we figured if we can figure out a way to use it now we're kind of deciding like they're retrofitting like they were using that in starfleet headquarters you know all these hundreds of years before that and then federation hq is still using that like that's how they're in their head canon it was just such a popular iconic set of um uh interior design or whatever the word would be architecture that they kept using it a thousand years later but it can't be physically the same space because one is a building in san francisco and the other is a space station oh, right, that is also that's a not spaceship. What he's going for he's saying just okay. the architecture okay the circular rooms was so popular <laughs> or so iconic to starfleet in, the, in their head canon i'm like okay sure you know what i think is a really fun page on memory alpha is that for the enterprise d's battle bridge because uh-huh. then it'll show you all the other times it's been used as other things uh, like, the Bozeman, the uh, yeah, or yeah. Oregon basement ship. The ever, ever, it was on. It was the movie set. Uh, <laughs> yep. Like, why would they build this set for the very first episode of TNG and then never use it again? The answer is they did use it, just not as that. <laughs> all the movies and all the other ships. And, yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I found out from uh, Trek Culture, a really neat YouTube channel I watch a lot, um, that the Federation HQ set, the circular one slash the courtroom. Used to be the Section 31 ship bridge in Discovery. Before huh. that, it was the bridge for the Shenzo. Huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. They just kept reusing it. So the only part from the Shenzo bridge that's still there, really, that you can notice, is the dome above the captain's huh. bridge. Or- and before that, it was a saloon on Bonanza. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> just kept reusing oh, oh, it. Vasquez rocks. But anyway. Um, We've both been there, right? Uh, Vasquez, ba- yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay, back to the court. I just want to talk about that thing that took me out of the episode every time I saw it. Because no, so I, th- to me. I love your eye for detail. These are fascinating things. Like I, I, as I've said before on this podcast, I nitpick Star Trek not because I dislike it, but because I love details, and mm-hmm. I love that you catch ones that I miss. So thank you. <laughs> so Nira, our counselor that Kirk, or excuse me, Pike was going to go find in the first episode. Yep. Um, you get to see her. She's a civil Illyrian uh, civil rights lawyer. It was not part of the Federation because they're not part of the Federation. Um, she and Una have a history that we don't know about yet. Well, uh, I think we got it in this episode. No, 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 we didn't know about yet when we met her. Correct. And we explored that throughout this without indirectly. Yeah. There was rarely any actual thing like other than, you know what you did kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which I thought it was neat. And um, the first witness that we talked to was um april robert april mm-hmm. and that was um i liked she was she was not attacking him uh she was i thought she was on the right path of calling out april and starfleet for their willingness to bend the rules um when they need to so why not here uh, but the court did not want to hear it <laughs> well it was not clear at the time how relevant that line of questioning was See, it became relevant it was- I thought it was so obvious. Yeah, but then April goes to Pike and says, you know, Una is one of my most decorated officers. It's a shame the court didn't get to hear that today. Uh-huh. Like, that would have been a good line of questioning also for the counselor to have pursued. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But I just like I saw where she was going right away. And the court did not want to hear it. You are more legally attuned than I am. You have a more <laughs> of a tactical mind like that. I mean, when you're dating, or maybe, I don't know. <laughs> 
I do not know. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just like, yes, this is it. This is how you do it. They bend the rules all the time. But then Robert April's like, we have to do this all the time out there. They're all in the middle of nowhere. And I have to, where no man has gone before. And no, he didn't say that, but you get the idea. Yeah, I like when they bring Robert April onto the show because he's, he's so I mean, he was only made canon like by this series, Strange New Worlds, because before that he was just TAS, right? The animated series? Uh, he was me- mentioned, I think, in original series. But, oh, he was? Uh, and then we actually got to see him in animated series. And then we got this, now we actually get to meet, explore the character here in Strange New Worlds. And in the animated series, he wasn't necessarily a good guy because he was trying right. to like revive his own youth. Yeah. Hmm. Kind of like in Star Trek Insurrection. Oh, well. But yeah, it is good to see him some more. I like him as a character. I like the actor. And I think I even like the counselor. I didn't at first. I love the way Pike got into her office, which which was basically by passing out. <laughs> he is a very determined individual. Yes. I mean, that shows more. Our, our Boy Scouts doing it's right. And also, like, straight, season one, he's like, I welcome the conversation to, have, to not have you here. And here they're like, no, you are not having that conversation because you are a weakness. You are too close to Una. Mm. Um, and his side hustle girl, uh, basically calling him out and showing him that. Uh, I, was like, I think he really made, he made him go like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that she was doing her job and following the rules. But I nonetheless, despite her saying that, despite her helping Pike, I wasn't always clear whose side she was on. Because like when the counselor would make a great argument this person would smile like, ah, oh, yeah, good job saving Una, even though I'm trying to destroy her. Just think of it. Think of it like in the episode of data. Yeah. Uh, kind of like how Riker had to defend him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like she doesn't want to do this, but she has to do her job. Yep. Um, and like, I, so I mean, she was going to, I didn't, I felt like she was still on Una's side, even, um, but she, even though she had to be against it. Yeah. And that Vulcan that she was working with, he was a hard hitter. Yeah, I mean, that fight that him and Spock had. Oh, it was such a shame we had to see that. <laughs> <laughs> that that outburst. Was very, that was very interesting. And, and the way that Mbenga, uh, yeah. there we go, uh, was able to catch that. Yep. He's very attuned to that physiology and that physical tension. Yeah, I loved that the counselor basically played the opposition, the prosecutor. Like, she wanted it to come out that Una had turned herself in. And that Pike had known four months earlier. Mm-hmm. Like those were integral to her ultimate defense of Una. And the prosecutor helped that information come out. So that's why Una says, you knew all along. And the counselor's like, yep. Yeah. Um, and to be able to twist it to be uh, a case for asylum. Uh, I yeah. A clever finale to how they get around it. I do find it odd, though, because the request for asylum came years after she first lied about her application on start to Starfleet Academy. You know, I, I kind of feel like she would have had to make that request sooner, but I mean, Starfleet wanted to cover this up. They're going to go like, yeah, sure. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I guess if they basically came to a compromise, like where Starfleet, they can't cover this up, but they can say it was a case for asylum. This woman was being prosecuted for who she was and we gave her a safe space. Mm hmm. As a decorated officer. Right. I'd be remiss to ignore that also we had La'an as a character witness along with a few others, but for hers it was the most important because of how 
angry she was at Una for hiding this from her last season. Mm-hmm. And the girl said she had to be able to turn around and basically the Una is family and be there to protect her. I was a little confused between the exchange with the Laan and the prosecutor because the prosecutor said the person who turned Una in is the person who has the most to gain from it. And Laan said, why do I feel like I just got hit by a shuttlecraft? I, I don't understand that. That felt like a non sequitur to me. I honestly didn't catch that. Even when I said, I remember the line I remember thinking, what that, like, what does that mean? And I still haven't figured that out either. I'm guessing it's just something that went over my head. <sighs> I mean, got, so she got broadsided. Okay, let's think this out. She got broadsided by. I mean, uh, I, I know what it means. Yeah, I, by the possibility of what? That's what I'm trying to figure out. So I'm talking it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I understand it means that she was broadsided, but it was. The only thing I can think of is that Laan figured out in that moment, even though she didn't say it to us, the audience, that Una was the one who turned Una in. Yeah, I, I didn't quite make the connection. Yeah. yeah. So I that's. Still, I didn't do the second viewing either. So. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's just a a leap in logic that we, the audience, are not following. Or at least you and me. <laughs> we are the audience. We are the target audience. <laughs> People who host Star Trek podcasts. <laughs> um. I thought about this before, then she brought it up here in the radio room and I watched today. This is the second time Rebecca Romaine has played a character who's fighting for the rights of a minority when she was um, in X-Men as a mutant. Yeah, but she wasn't necessarily in a courtroom setting. No, oh, okay. That's not what I meant. Uh, that was, uh, but she's still. Yes. The, X-Men was about the rights for mutants. Yes. That's what I mean. Not yes. a, a parallel one-to-one. Yes. Um, she was still, second time she's been doing that role. Yep. I just thought it was interesting. I thought about that. And then she, I was watching Ready Room this morning and she talked about it there too. I found out she's a first generation um, immigrant. Like her parents moved here. From where? Um, gosh. I don't know if she mentioned it or I didn't put it to memory. But she was born here and uh, I just had no idea. Uh, let me see. She was born in Berkeley, California and... Her father is a native of the Netherlands, while her mother is an American of Dutch and English ancestry. So there you have her mother, it. Well, the, the way she's talking, her mother had to learn English as a second language. Uh, well, here. So I don't, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, who are you going to trust to know about Rebecca's mother? Rebecca mm-hmm. or Wikipedia? Wikipedia, of course. Right. That's the correct answer. <laughs> oh, and she just turned 50. Yeah. Oh, she's she, so pretty. Marie. Wait, she... She's married to Jerry O'Connell? Yeah, they have two girls. From Sliders? Sliders. Because I think Jerry O'Connell's brother played his brother on Sliders. Oh. And I got confused about which O'Connell this was. This is the good one. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, this is like the main character who was in the pilot who invented the sliding machine. Uh-huh. And here he is, a picture of him at San Diego Comic-Con 2019 with a Star Trek t-shirt. Okay. That's <laughs> awesome. Yes. Oh, and he play- Oh, he plays... Of course, he's on lower decks. Uh huh. He plays Commander Jack Ransom. Okay, I was about to get that, so we got there. <laughs> like, I knew that, but we were coming at it from such a different direction that mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. forgot. But oh, so Una is married to Ransom. I love that, <laughs> and that's going to make the crossover all the more interesting. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's fun. Yeah. No, no, because probably not related. I, I, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers. Spoilers. I don't really have any spoilers. Anyway. Yes, but but my threshold for spoilers are very low. <laughs> There's an episode of Star Trek coming up next week, Ken. What? No, stop. <laughs> why Why did you do that? I can't forget that now. I like it to be a surprise every Thursday. 
Wow. <laughs> um, it's really, really good episode. I enjoyed it a lot. We still have one more to go. Yeah, I felt like there was something else I wanted to say about this episode. I don't remember what it was, but oh, you recommended that I go rewatch the short oh, track Q&A. That's what I was going to say. Yes. And uh, I recommended this because I was watching it with one of my partners. And and she had mentioned uh, in during the trial, she mentioned um, it was brought up. Spock brought up the Sullivan. Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm gonna go back and watch that Q and A with my partner because uh, she's seen that too. So we should watch that again. She's like, okay. So we did, and then had this moment. They had a lot of scenes in there talking about, um, you know, basically the idea of uh, keep your freaky hidden. And uh, but there were some things that were mentioned in there that. I don't think it was intentional at the time because they didn't have any idea that Strange New Worlds was going to be a show when they filmed that Q&A, but it became prescient. And I thought that was so awesome how it, I think, accidentally connected. So what kind of things? Oh, uh, here's where you're going to talk because you mentioned it too. Well, for example, she said, if you want to achieve command, you have to keep to yourself the things that make other people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what she did. She was speaking from experience and not just because she loves Gilbert and Sullivan. Yes. Uh, and I don't, I question whether or not they knew that Strange New Worlds was going to be a thing. That because, oh, I mean, we didn't. You're, you're right. I don't think they but did. I, but, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had an inkling because that Q&A focused on Spock and Una. And yeah, Spock was, uh, they were both in Discovery Season 2, especially Spock. But I feel like what we learn about those characters in that Q&A isn't relevant to Discovery Season 2. It's only relevant to Strange New Worlds. I, so I feel like they may have been building up those characters for a reason. Maybe they had some, to me, maybe they had some writer discussions. Like, what if what if, if these characters, this, 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 that, 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 but never actually, because they filmed those at the same time they filmed the series, and no one knew how popular Kaika is going to be. You mean Season 2? Yeah, they had no. Okay, they would have no idea how popular Pike was going to become to get the fans to, um, you know, like rally behind that him and his crew. Like Pike is the reason Strange New Worlds exists. Pike's character and, and Anson Mount is the reason Strange New Worlds exists. I believe that. And I don't think and so like and Spock, uh, and Una like they were ancillary. I mean, like Spock was important to season two, but like. It was all Anson Mount. And they so they filmed those short tracks so long ago, long before the fan outcry, like, we want more, we want more. But given how many Star Trek spinoffs they're doing, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were thinking, you know, let, let it, let's build up as many characters as we can and see what resonates and if we can spin it off. Maybe. Like I said, I maybe don't the know. writer's room, they're like, what if we made, uh, uh, season, what if we made, like, Una, the reason, the reason why she's so... Uh, the way she is is because she's actually not human or something like that. You know, like things like that. But very loose, I'm guessing, at, at most. Didn't Peter David do some novels featuring Una? I don't know. And I think she was identified as an alien. And I think they might have even explained why she looks so much like Deanna's mother. Yeah. <laughs> I forget. I didn't read them. But <laughs> I think she was determined to be non-homo sapiens. Maybe. Maybe they uh, borrowed from that, too. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time they've taken non-canon stuff, especially from the animated series, and made them canon. Or, I think, or um, uh, what's what's Vulcan in twenty in, in uh, Discovery you know, called Navarre? Um, <laughs> uh, was borrowed from fan fiction. 
right? And I think even the Star Wars animated series introduced uh, a general who was in the novels, Shadow of the Empire or something. Uh, Thrawn. Uh, yeah, that's him. I didn't read those books or see the show, but I remember fans' minds exploding when that character appeared in the series because he'd yeah. been in the novels for, I think, almost 30 years at that point. Uh-huh. Then he's in Rebels and then he's in Mando. Right? Oh, he's in Mando. Okay. Alluded to. Spoiler. <laughs> it's it's not a spoiler. Okay. <laughs> it's trust me. His existence is not a spoiler. Yeah. Um. So, add Astra Paraspera. I loved it. I had a lot of good time. I had a lot of good time with the sentence that normal people say. <laughs> Wait, what do old people say? I said, what a lot of people say is, I have a good time. Oh. When they're talking about shows, yes. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, it was a nice change in pace from a lot of Star Trek we've seen lately. What I mean, I've told people this before. Discovery and Strange New Worlds could not be more different, and that's why I love them both. Mm-hmm. They're both Star Trek. So, should we talk about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? Yes. Um, why don't you kick us off? Because I started with the first one. Yeah, okay. So, the title I first thought was a reference to the TOS episode tomorrow's yesterday where they also go back in time to 20th century earth or thereabouts and you pointed out to me that tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow is a quote from Macbeth by Shakespeare or as we call it in theater the Scottish Shakespeare play (laughs) so it is not a reference to the TOS episode even though it is again about time travel Uh, this episode I don't know how the writers thought of it like how do they, they they took an alternate timeline Kirk and paired him with Laan to go back in time 200 years on an adventure like dear, that that never would have occurred to me dear chat gpt what are some Almost. characters or or they get yeah. the uh powerball uh balls with ideas on each one and just put the button <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I'm a, I'm always a little frustrated when time travel is handled like it's not a big deal. Like in Tomorrow's Yesterday with TOS, like, oh yeah, we just went back in time to observe 20th century Earth and see what it's like. Or in that one episode of Enterprise, what was it called? Like Bleecker Street or whatever? They just... Uh, yeah, they yeah, did... I know it's episode or something street. Yeah, they, they just go back in time like it's a thing you do. Whereas... Picard season two, they did 10 episodes about it. Like this was a whole big thing. Let's go back in time, find what changed and fixed it. And they took them 10 hours to do that, which I thought was too much. And yet they do the same thing in one hour of strange new worlds, which I felt like was too little. And that was, you know, one of the comments I saw was um, people from a few people is that um, this episode did Picard season two better than Picard season two all in one episode. <laughs> I, I believe that. I mean, very different goals. and But yeah, we learn a lot about a character in this. Uh, and La'an. I love La'an. And this episode really allowed us to see uh, Christina Chong's range. And we finally got to see La'an being vulnerable uh, in everything that she had to go through here. Uh, yeah, we start off with her sparring with the doctor and being somebody who can really put up a wall. Uh, yeah, she's stuck on herself uh, in, in her head about her past. Yeah. And everyone sees her as a, a related to Khan, not as herself. 
And yet we see that wall start to come down. And part of that is because she doesn't even realize it's still halfway through the episode. Nobody in 21st century Earth at that point, including Kirk, knows her family name. The connection to Kirk here. Oh, gosh. Okay, let's just go back to the beginning here. Uh, suddenly a time travel agent appears, has a gunshot wound. He's a guy from, uh, this is a connection to Voyager, um, loosely. Uh, the Remember the relativity, the time ship relativity? Sure. His little badge thing, whatever his little device was, was using the same UI as oh. all the consoles on relativity. I, I thought it was like, oh, it's a neat little connection. Was th- on Voyager, were they also called the Department of T- Temporal Investigations? I don't know if it was ever brought up a name, but we just called, we just knew that they traveled through time like current people travel through the stars. Because the DTI, I think of that as Agents Skulder and Mully from uh-huh. DS9. And they, yeah, and they were brought up on DS9 too. Yeah, but like they don't have time travel capabilities. They just investigate. They don't correct. I know that in the future there is a force that corrects, but I didn't think that that was the DTI. We just know we're never told. And so, or, or we were, or we were told and forgot. Nah, Voyager was never okay. Because it's been twenty-five years. I've have yeah. forgotten more than I've ever known. But <laughs> who knows? Maybe they work across generations too. Or maybe there are multiple future timelines, and in one of them, it is the DTI. Which is an interesting idea. Who is right and what is the natural timeline, right? And they so, talk about that in more uh, the Marvel Universe, too. Well, there is a DTI novel I read featuring Skulder and Mully mm-hmm. as the main characters. And one of them, like, they actually are collaborating with this future group from uh, the Voyager episodes. So the future group is traveling back in time, working with today's DTI to fix certain temporal anomalies, but not all of them. Because some of those anomalies, if left uncorrected, create the timeline in which that future time correction force exists. And they're trying not to erase their own timeline. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. But time is a wibbly wobbly. <laughs> Timey wimey. Uh-huh. So, so um, we get open with Laon talking about her being a security officer and all the friends she has. She has a funny little scene with like a Denobulan <laughs> and the transporter person. It's like, you just stole my stuff. I'm like, the transporter doesn't work that way. We get Spock getting a noise complaints against him because he's playing as his, um, his little Vulcan flute more or whatever, a lute here. Yeah. And then um, we get, I love Carol Kane so much. Uh, I already loved her as an actress and then to have her here um, and her little department of archaeology and stolen goods. <laughs> Oh, it's so much fun. I love her little line. I wrote it down like, I still have a bunker in Vermont in case this no money socialist utopia things turned out to be a bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad idea. Nope. Uh, So much fun. And And her, you know, when you live as long as she does, the definition of a fad is very different from how you and I define it. Yep. It's not just a meme. What is a meme? (laughs) You know, it's something that can last a long time and still be a fad. Uh Uh-huh. And even the word meme keeps changing. Uh, now it's just a joke. But anyway, um, as opposed to the original meaning of a guy who's a jerk who made it up. Anyway, uh, we're alternate reality. All of a sudden, Kirk's on the bridge of the Enterprise. Still with a different combat. We're still wearing the Starfleet Delta on their uniforms. Oops. Um. <laughs> and it's not Starfleet. It's like the United Earth Fleet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't catch it the first time. I was watching it again this morning. And I saw, you know how all the ships have uh, the little plaque about the ship? Uh, when Lawn walks by it, it's the UEF uh, Enterprise. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Nice. And we have like Captain Spock of the Vulcan ship. Say, and... Yeah, we have Kirk hanging up on Spock as the Vulcans <laughs> are being 
destroyed by the Romulans and the Earth is next, basically. Hmm. Um, which was like, wow. Like, like, that's an interesting way to show like how things are different in this universe when Captain Kirk is hanging up on Captain yeah. Spock. And yet, you, who there are. and yet you can deviate from the original timeline so dramatically and still end up with the same bridge officers. Yep. At least most of them. Like, like, O'Hara was still there. And um, who else is still there? Melissa. Oh, yep. yep, yep. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on her name. My, my, my favorite characters. Yeah, same. It's fine. <laughs> but then we get a random other question in the comp. But anyway, uh, this alternate universe. Boom, boom, boom. We talk. I've never heard of Starfleet. We push the button by accident and we go back to Toronto, which is not New York. But didn't Laon try pushing that button before she got to the bridge? Like, didn't she wonder what it was? It was only yeah, when she, they grappled for it. Yeah, she did. I didn't see the scene. No, but I I would just think that she would have tried. But oh, anyway. Yeah. Well, and because I said, go to the bridge. And she mis- meant, took that to mean, okay, the bridge is where I'm going to get an answer to this thing that I'm holding. <laughs> yeah, there... I know that this is a great episode for La'an, and I love the interaction between her and Kirk, but I have so many nitpicky objections to this episode. Like, really? Like, okay, so he doesn't know the difference between New York and Toronto. He's never seen a sunset on Earth. He doesn't know how a revolving door works, and he, and yet he knows how to buy hot dogs from a hot dog stand? It's like, oh, two, please. Here's five bucks. Thanks. Like, that should have challenged you. Like, that should not have been an easy interaction for you. And yet you did. And also, the whole Romulans have been interfering with our timeline for ages. Like, where did they get that technology? How come we never knew about it? So the bridge blew up in our original timeline. We're not here to fix that. And that's okay? Okay, let's slow down. Let's let's slow down here. Okay. Um, All right. Spending money. I could see the UEF. Having money still. They don't have their socialist utopia. Vulcans never came. Things never changed. I could see him understanding a transaction of money and and uh, having stands at planets you visit. I mean, we even see in Discovery, they go to various planets and there are stalls where you buy stuff. Okay, fair. That one I can get. Uh, we have a little joke to the, he's still from Iowa, but it's a different Iowa. It's the USS Iowa. Uh-huh. And like they don't have, he's never been, so they have, the, he's been to planets where there are carts and stalls, but not revolving doors. I don't know. <laughs> he's never been to a casino royale <laughs> okay that's a great reference thank you <laughs> um i thought it was really i thought it was funny but also confusing how he was able to fleece people on 2d chess I'm like okay i'll I'll buy it it's goofy but uh, that was interesting um but he's never seen earth st- we've always shown in star trek that humans are most connected to earth sunsets can be on sunset and any other planet, but it's never the same as Earth. Whatever reason, it's just how Star Trek connects humans to Earth still. Mm. And so, like to, for him to have that moment, I'm like that feels normal still to me for Star Trek normal. Oh, sure. No, I, I wasn't objecting to him having never seen a Earth sunset and okay. to being moved by it. I was just using that in the broader context of like he's never seen an Earth sunset. He doesn't know the difference between New York and Toronto. I'm saying that because. To establish a baseline of this guy not knowing what Earth is like. Mm-hmm. And yet he can interact with a hot dog stand. Gotcha. See, that part didn't bug me. What was to me even like hot wiring a car, or stealing a car, not hot wiring, they stole a car. I'm like, okay, it's Kirk. We've seen him drive cars. No, that's not that he has in this timeline, but I'm like, okay, he's Kirk. He can do he, things. He to went me, from. Was like, Kirk uh, can do things. When he, f- when he first got in that car, like he took up 
going forward and backward and backing into cars. And all of a sudden he's doing like these wild spins, like yeah. it's Fast and the Furious. He learned very quickly. Yeah. I mean, that is a stretch. But for me, I'm just like, okay, uh, that didn't bug me. I noticed it, but it didn't bug me. Um, I suppose I can say the same thing. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I, I don't know how to do those moves in my car. And I've been driving for 25 years. But you weren't chasing after people. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see we also got um so i didn't but well, he earned a lot of money from that chest to get that penthouse and to drive like the and the, to vermont and back uh you know like a, it's a day trip basically to vermont and a day trip back kind of thing from toronto and they went to a lot of universities and archaeology departments in that time that was the <laughs> so other thing time is a little wibbly wobbly here <laughs> And like you and I brought this up when we were watching the finale of Discovery season two, where there isn't a sense of urgency. Like they have limited time to do something and they're taking all the time they want. And I saw that here. They're like, okay, you've been sent back in time to figure out what went wrong and to change it. And you're like, let's go get some hot dogs. Like, okay, yes, you have to eat. But I didn't say I, I didn't get a sense of urgency. I would say like they didn't know the urgency. Like I agree with you. Like there was some. It was just timing was weird, and they were able to get around really quickly. There's some things they had to, I guess, give up because they weren't really important to the story ultimately. But I agree with you. It did kind of feel like, why are you doing this? Um, it did feel that. Um, yeah, because chess takes a while to play, right? And to get that much money from chess, holy crap! Like how many? Uh, it's like he. I think he implied before he sat down that he could earn some money pretty quickly. I was like. Uh, if you played six chess games, that could have been three hours at least. <laughs> like, unless you're yeah. supremely good at this. I'm with you. It's a little weird. Yeah. But if we get stuck on that, we're never going <laughs> to. Never going to what? We're never going to be able to talk about the episode. Um, we are talking about the episode. Uh, Lilan and Kirk build a connection. Yes. Um, everything there felt naturally natural to me. I just have no interest in hetero connections. <laughs> Do you think that this was just, I mean, so that's another thing is that a lot of this episode, I didn't see this Kirk being reminiscent of Shatner's Kirk. Well, that's a thing with um, Paul Wesley here. Like um, I was having this discussion with a friend of mine, uh, Shar, we were talking about this, like this Kirk doesn't still feel like Kirk yet. His version of Kirk. He's, kind of there but not and actually up until the last few seconds of this episode we had not seen the prime kirk yet this is for a few things we've only seen alternate universe kirks uh with the end of season one of strange new worlds and this you're episode. right uh-huh you're right There's that also like we are still we still feel like he still doesn't feel like kirk like he feels like he's natural in it but he doesn't feel like kirk and um i was watching the ready room just before today and they talked about that uh, he's intentionally underplaying Kirk, so there is room for growth. Because hmm. if he was the Kirk that we know, like it's just not the right, right? It's not okay. the same. There's no room for growth to explore the character over time. Like hmm. in the movies, sure, uh, Chris Pine immediately go to the Kirk that we know because it's the movie. We get two hours with these people, hour and a half. Uh, that makes sense. But here, when we have a show that we can bring the character back more, maybe um, explore him as a minor character he's a b character he is not strange new worlds like he is not original series kirk yet and so mm. like yeah he's not going to have that gravitas yet and yet one consistency i have noticed is that kirk in tos was a real womanizer do you think that his relationship with leon i'm sorry laon was just 
another alien chick of the week. I didn't feel that way at all here. And like, like that is his legacy. That is the pulp culture legacy. But like with all these women, look, he, al- he always goes back to his crew and his ship, right? He's just like Janeway did the same thing. So she got with a bunch of guys on her path back to Earth. Uh, Picard got with lots of women as he was going around. Like, we give Kirk this pop culture icon status of a womanizer, but like, even Archer does it. Uh, the only one who didn't really Cisco. was Cisco. Um, and, oh, or or I guess uh, Michael Burnham doesn't either. But, but like in classic Trek, as we think everything we appropriate to start to Kirk, most of the captains do to some extent. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh-huh. That's fair. And so, but I didn't for them this this Kirk and Lon. They had a connection that just felt very natural. It didn't feel like the. I'm on this planet with the glossy, uh, uh, with the Vaseline pasted over the monitor or like the camera. Yeah. Uh, a green skin girl. Yeah. Uh, it felt natural, even okay. if it was hetero. <laughs> so I, I have two questions about their relationship. One is she's wearing the watch. He kisses her. She kisses him back. The watch goes off. He says, you broke your promise. What promise? Oh, they, they were talking about he because he wanted to wear the watch. Yeah, it was like something about like you promised me if you if you see anything about the watch kind of thing. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a like real like you made a promise. It was a little cheeky little fine. Just promise me you'll tell me because so you don't do anything on your. Own. I mean, it was just two people kind of flirting back and forth to me. I don't remember her saying that he could wa- wear the watch. I remember him asking to. No, 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 no. She didn't say he could. So what's she the was promise? supposed to tell him about promise to actually tell if she notices anything. Oh, so the fact that it he noticed it, but the fact that he noticed before she did is the she promise. She wasn't looking at the watch. No, no, no. Uh, he wanted to wear it. He's like, well, prompt, fine. If you're going to wear it, promise me you'll tell me you can notice anything kind of thing. Okay. It wasn't anything deep. It wasn't meant to be a pinky swear kind of comment. It was a... No, I didn't think it was. I knew it had to do with the watch. I just uh-huh. didn't understand it. Didn't catch that. And the other thing is, why did the camera zoom in on the watch as the final shot of the episode? Yes, why did it? I think it means it's going to hint at something coming in the future. We don't know why. It was very ominous. I think that was intentional as a, you should remember this scene. Because it's definitely going to show up in some recap in two, three, four episodes from now. Going, hey, remember the watch? I don't know why. We don't know why. We're not privy to anything why they zoomed in on that. Other than, this is ominous. Remember this. I thought when she went back on the bridge at the end of the episode and Pike is back, that Carol Kane was going to say something. Yeah. Like, oh. We don't, we don't know if she like, remembers her. Like, I recognize you in that outfit. You must have just had that adventure. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there for was all, no cheeky nod. There was nothing. <clears throat> but like, for, all, for all we know, it was Laan and Kirk who inspired Carol Kane to become an engineer. Uh-huh. That's what they want you to, to right. be open to the possibility for. Right. I mean, I, I know the DTI was trying to correct all these time anomalies, but they create so many more. For example, that Romulan... Like, oh, good, we stopped her from igniting the cold fusion reactor or killing Khan. But you also killed a lot of guards in that hallway with your gun. Like, those guards have kids who have kids who have kids who become Starfleet captains. Oh, we don't care about them because they're not important. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they're, they don't have names, so they don't matter to the story. No, uh, but you're right. No, no, no. There are. That's why you be careful about messing with time and the butterfly effect. <laughs> yeah. And and it's just weird that the cold fusion reactor and Khan are in the same building. Like, oh, two great ways to disrupt the timeline all in one place. Yeah. 
And why is it called the... Okay, first okay, of all... Okay, slow I, down, slow down, slow down. <laughs> okay, okay. I have so much more, but okay, I'll stop. Okay, so we have... Um, uh, we have... Uh, we figured out... Okay, Sarah, our Romulan in disguise, who is a conspiracy theorist, quote-unquote. Yep. The episode, the CC actually kind of made me go, wait, what? what? When she said her name. Uh, because... Um, it was spelled in the CC as C-E-R-A. Sarah. And my brain went to, that's a bit, my brain, I literally remember the thought going, that's a very Romulan way to spell that. Huh. But then I went, that must be nothing. Uh, in my house of that. But, but I remember thinking, that's a very Romulan way to spell that. Hmm. The, so the, then, the closed um, captions gave her away. Yeah. Kind of. It accidentally hinted at, maybe think and question her. Yeah. But then, you know, she laughed and, oh, okay. Uh, which I should have seen coming. So like I didn't figure it out, but it made me go, wait a minute. Uh psh, nothing. <laughs> hmm. Uh so but but then um so then this uh, <laughs> I thought the Sarah thing was kind of neat because it showed how time has changed. Correcting not correcting. They've given some more leeway as to why what we learned in original series as fact with Khan and what has changed now because the eugenics wars never happened in our reality. Uh, so they have some, they use this as a neat way to me of the temporal Cold War, uh, time agents messing things up. Basically time changed, but Khan still end up being alive. Um, I thought it was just a neat way to add some leeway into why in the 90s we didn't actually have World War Three. I like how she said this was supposed to happen in 1992. Yep. But it's also interesting that they're they're implying that you can try to change the timeline and yet it still reverts back in a way. And yet the DTI still exists to undo these anomalies, which do change the future. So some things you can change, some things you can't. In the Star Trek 2009 novelization, um, they kind of lean into the, to some extent, time tries to correct itself. That's mm. why... To, to the book's reason for why the same crew still gets together is because it tries to correct itself and get them back together. Uh, I'm not saying that's logical or whatever like that, but it's kind of like just making time have a purpose and sense. And it, time itself is somewhere aware that it has a, this is what's supposed to happen. Or kind of like, that was just an interesting exploration. Like in the 2009 movie, when Spock ejects Kirk from the ship and maroons him on an ice planet. And it happens to the ice planet that has prime Spock. Mm -hmm. exactly yeah it's like time is trying to fix itself in ways that we can't perceive and it's not always seemingly accurate or effective at doing so right so it, it was interesting to me well uh, let me back up so i love the scene in the car where kirk mispronounces laan's name as soon mm -hmm. because that's a conversation you and i have had that uh -huh. Uh, like Data's ancestors and Laan's ancestors are not the same, but as we learn in Picard season three, one does engender the other. But why is it called the Noonien Singh Institute, the building they're infiltrating? We are never made aware of that. Like I thought the name originated with Khan, but apparently there's somebody it's else with that name. Either is his family or just that that he took that name. Yeah, that's weird. I always yeah. thought that he was not organically conceived that he wasn't just genetically modified that he was grown and therefore didn't have parents but i guess there that's an assumption still, on, there's there an could that, hmm, that could be an assumption on my part 
it could be still the case here. We don't know that he wasn't. Yeah. And it's interesting to suggest that like you can go back in time and destroy and kill a monster. Like that's been a thought experiment for decades. Would you go back in time and kill Hitler? And Lan had the opportunity to go back in time and kill Khan before he started the eugenics wars. Mm -hmm. And we don't know that that would have been a bad thing. The bad future she saw where Vulcan is about to fall to the Romulans that came from the, the Romulans destroying the cold fusion reactor. Which Not killed Khan. Oh. In the same building. That was. I missed that. Thank you. Uh-huh. This uh-huh. makes sense now. So like one part of the plan, Sarah's plan was to, uh, she mentioned just like the, she talked to an AI, basically she talked to Ziggy about how to best right. way to mess up with earth. And so a mess with earth's progress is to Got it. Uh, kill Khan and then figure out a way to do that. I thought when she said like, why, you, you know, if a scalpel won't work, let's use a bludgeon and let's just go kill Khan. I thought she meant something else. Gotcha. So she was trying to cover up Khan's assassination as a cold fusion accident. Got it. Okay. So another question I have though, is that, and maybe now that I'm thinking about it, maybe this was a red herring. Sarah showed our uh, Kirk and Laan security footage of some guy waiting at the bridge for it to explode. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering that we never got resolution on that. Who was that? But now I realize since Sarah's a Romulan, that footage could have been faked to try to could throw them off the scent. Could have been faked. There could be other agents around. We're still kind of unaware, but fake seems plausible. Yeah. Cause I thought that was who they saw going into the building. Mm-hmm. But now I realize that could have been somebody completely different. We never did see his face in either right. either on the footage or going into the building. Right. Okay. This makes more sense now. Um, <sighs> I didn't catch this, which it feels so obvious now in this in this universe or in this timeline. Kirk dies to save Khan. Oh, technically, yeah, he does. Uh-huh. Uh, he didn't. He didn't know that at the time. Neither did no. Lon. No, and he had no connection to Khan, so it's meaningless to him that connection. But as viewers of the greater Star Trek universe, interesting. Uh, now, I thought going back on this supposed to happen in 1992, I thought we kind of agreed. I don't know if that we, as you and me, or just the Star Trek community, that the reason it didn't happen in 1992 is because records from that era are inaccurate and incomplete. That's what Picard and Picard, Pike have both said. Okay. And so, uh, but we don't say why. We just make the assumption why, right? Okay. The war. Uh, it could be temporal. It could be all of it. Uh, I would say don't read too much into it. Okay. Because like, be- they're just trying to make up for why didn't it happen in the 90s for us as you and me. Because Star Trek is going to continue producing TV shows and movies for decades to come. And they're going to continue having time travel episodes where they go back into the past. And eventually they're going to be visiting us in the year 2042. And, gee, the Eugenics Wars hasn't happened. World War Three hasn't happened. Zephyr from Cochrane hasn't happened. So are they going mean, to? Are they just, are they, are they just keep changing the timeline to align with ours? We'll see. We'll see. I mean, they're just they're, they're having fun with it because a lot of people regard Star Trek as the history of our future, and like I joke about that, and like I, I joke, I've joked for decades with my friends, like, oh yeah, 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 this Captain, this is um, this Patrick Stewart guy, or no, excuse me, this um. This uh, Captain Picard guy, he just comes back to star in our television star and shows and movies. Right. He's for whatever reason. That's very interesting for people in Starfleet 
Star Trek time to go back in time to star in our media. They get a kick out of that. It's purely a joke. And so we can't, at some point, we have to stop taking this as a history of our future. Well, that's kind of what the TV show, uh, what the John Scalzi novel Red Shirts is about. Uh, have you ever read that? I haven't. Oh, highly talked about it, but it. I haven't. Yeah, I think every time we, we have this conversation, it's like, have you read it? I haven't. You should. <laughs> um, but I, I don't have any problem with it being the history of our future diverging from a certain point. Uh-huh. At you some know, point, they're going to have to eventually, right? Or just keep playing with it. Oh, well, back then, thirty years ago, we were wrong about that too. Temporal Cold War. Ah, weird. Uh, <laughs> Convenient. Uh-huh. God. Um, All right. That ending. Uh, that's where Oof. I tried with with like I've been going through some things in my life, and then having her um, on uh, have that fallout there too. It just hit me, and I just started crying as well. That was so hard to watch her go through that. <sighs> It was hard to see her specifically, given how we saw her at the beginning of the episode. Very strong, very confident. And just like stumbling over her words, holding back tears, talking to Kirk. That is very out of character for her. Very believable, given the situation. And when she hung up and she just lost it, that's when I lost it. Because I could see myself doing that. And I feel like there have been times in my life where I've been in similar situations where, you know, as soon as I walk out the door knowing I will never see that person again mm-hmm. because of some irreconcilable difference. Like I'm the one who initiated the goodbye because it had to happen. But as soon as I leave, I just break down and lose it. You know, and that's not quite the same here because, well, it kind of is because her Kirk is gone. Yeah. She finally found someone she can connect with and share. Cause someone who doesn't have any knowledge of her legacy, something that's been building up and bottled up inside her. She finally found someone. And he had to die and also not exist. I was really afraid when she called Prime Kirk and she introduced herself. He was going to say like, oh, Noonien Singh, like Khan. I don't uh, sound like him at all. He doesn't have that connection yet either. No, but Khan Noonien Singh is a historical figure, whether or not it's yeah. a personal one for him. And even if it's not something that he would say, based on what Lan has shared, it's something that a lot of other people have said. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like Kirk to me. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, that didn't happen. Because yeah. that, that would that would have devastated her. Like one of the things she loved about Kirk was that he didn't know her last name. Right. Um, it's kind of interesting to think about all these characters right now. Kirk, or excuse me, Khan is someone who lived hundreds of years in the past. They have no clue that he's still around. Right. It's interesting to think about that to me. Botany Bay, it's, it's out there. What did he be? <laughs> you got Ortegas, anything else? Ortegas. Thank you. Melissa Gosh, Navia. That's so embarrassing. One of my favorite characters and I can't think of her name. It's fine. She's fine. <laughs> so I don't think I have anything else to say about this episode. That's all I got for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Uh, other than like, I just really love that way that she went from being so cold and hard at the beginning of the episode to finding it and losing it. It oh. was so well done. Oh, I just remembered. I do have one more question. Uh-huh. uh-huh. What is up with Kirk's brother being either Sam or George? Oh, they, they joked about that here. I know, but I'm trying to figure out, are they doing that on purpose because they're trying to resolve? Yes. A, w- what's the issue? Uh, just like, what's his name? Because in the movies, they were calling him Sam. Right? Okay. I don't know. And everyone else is George. I mean, he died in TOS. Uh-huh. What was on the gravestone? Was it? Do you remember? I don't remember. Oh, I don't remember a gravestone. 
Maybe it and wasn't I'll, one. Maybe I'm thinking of um. No, I'm thinking of like James S. Kirk or whatever they had on there before they realized his last name was going to be. And also, this is George Kirk Jr. George Samuel Kirk Sr. was uh, Captain yeah. Kirk's father. Yeah. Oh, and also George Kirk had a son named George Kirk Jr. had a son named Peter Kirk. Really? Yep. Uh, yeah, but it's kind of like in the comic books. The Incredible Hulk was named Bruce Banner. Uh-huh. And then when they did the TV show with Bill Bixby, they, they called him David Banner. Oh, that's right. So for the copyright things or something? Well, that's the first time I've heard that reason. The two other reasons I've heard. The first reason I heard, and this was back when I was on the online service Genie back in the 90s. And so I, in hindsight, I put no stock in this. But what I heard at the time was that somebody in the production studio felt that Bruce as a name was too gay. I don't know. (laughs) And this was back in the eighties. So maybe, but what I have also now heard, which seems more believable to me, if you look at the names of characters in comic books, we have Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Mm -hmm. Lana Lang, Bruce Banner, uh, Peter Parker, a lot of alliteration. Mm -hmm. And they want Yeah. But it also feels kind of, comical like in a comic book sense and they were adapting this to be a tv show it was not a comical tv show it was sad and so they wanted something a little more serious so they can name david banner and now i think the canon is that his name is bruce david banner it's his middle name (laughs) so i was trying to figure out like if they called him sam in some shows and george in others then maybe they're just now saying oh yeah once his middle name and nobody calls him that or whatever uh, but yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, I, I don't know why he is named different things. Oh, one more question I have is in that alternate timeline that we saw last season with Pike and he asked La'an, has anybody talked to number one lately? And La'an says, it's been years since anybody's heard from her, not since she was arrested for being genetically modified. So that implies that there is a timeline where that happened. And there has to be a change in the timeline for that to not happen. And we've seen now in the episode at Astra Paraspera that it didn't happen. So what is different in that, in our timeline, in the prime timeline that allowed her to be saved from a penal colony? Whereas in the other timeline, she was sentenced there forever. Uh, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, me, me neither. Uh, Maybe in an alternate universe, she took the plea deal. And but where? I mean, what changed to make her want to do that? I don't know. Maybe These are. They're also. I mean, people also make mistakes. No, they don't. <laughs> Not in but, Star Trek. Uh, I would say. I mean, it's if you want to try to explain it, like we don't have enough information. Yeah. There's the real world answer, and then there's the inner universe, and we just don't have the we don't have the missing yeah. information. Because my understanding of what that alternate timeline, uh, what engendered it was Pike saving himself from that accident. Yep. And that happens years from now. Uh-huh. You know, at the point where Una's trial happens, there shouldn't have been a change yet. So I don't know, but it is not something I need an answer to. It is just enough for me to raise the question. <laughs> That's all I got. All right. Um, now to go back to uh, Vermont. <laughs> make sure all the goods are still good uh, do you have anything more no you don't you're good 
I, I, I'm good. Are you good? Closed out. You're good. Nothing more to add to you. Well, I will say that the next episodes, we already have the names of every episode this season. So on July 6th, the episode is going to be Among the Lotus Eaters, written co-written by Kirsten Beyer. And the episode after that on July 13th will be Charades. And the season finale airs August 17th. So you and I are going to continue airing episodes of Transporter Walk, the podcast, every other week or so. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that means we'll be back after watching Among the Lotus Eaters and Charades, which is good timing because uh, you and I are both out of town next weekend. So we won't be around to record. And the weekend after that, I will be on my way to my 26th annual Kansas Fest, which is an annual Apple II convention in Kansas City. So you and I will record an episode before I leave, and then I will be in Kansas City for a week. And then when I get back, we'll record another episode, including the episode Those Old Scientists, directed by Jonathan Frakes. That is coming in late July. I think I know what that episode is. I can guess. Cool. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're back. It's good to be back on the air. And until next time. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com.